0: What a friend we have in Jesus. I've had a a bit of a new revelation on it lately and I want to share with you today. Father, I just pray that you help me, that Holy Spirit, you'll give me the words, give me the ability to communicate the message you've given me on my heart today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. Here we go. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? I haven't. They look really scary to me. (laughs) Why haven't I? You don't know what's coming next, and I'm sure I'd feel very out of control on one of those. I see no good reason to scare myself voluntarily. (laughs) I've never been keen on adrenaline-producing activities. <laughs> yes, I'm married you yes. uh, But uh, No, we've gone too far. Here we go. Life can be a roller coaster, and it's one we have no option but to ride. There's ups and downs and curves and all sorts of twists and turns that you don't control. However, our roller coaster is still headed to its designed end. We like having a sense of control in our lives, but control is really only an illusion. All it takes is one rebellious child, or one car wreck, or one pandemic, a misfiled report, or a downturn in the job market to reveal how little control we have over our lives. Maybe things aren't going how you planned for your life. Sometimes God's timing seems questionable, his lack of intervention hurtful, and his promises doubtful. Maybe people have disappointed you. Maybe circumstances have taken a turn that you don't like. We have a picture of how our life should be, but we live with the uncertainty of being able to neither predict nor control the outcomes. We humans are very attached to outcomes. We say we trust God, but we work hard and sometimes get our emotions in a tangled fray trying to control our outcomes. We praise God when our life looks like what we thought it would and we question God when it doesn't. Lately, my life seems to have got out of control. This is where I find myself at the moment. The roller coaster has taken a twist that I wasn't expecting. I was very happy with my work and my service in the church and my life, how things are going. My life wasn't supposed to go this way. Where is God? I've served Him faithfully all my life, and I don't understand why He hasn't intervened to change things. God's been teaching me to tie my hope not to specific outcomes, but rather to the very heart of God, that faithful, gracious heart of my Father. The Bible talks about us being victorious and being conquerors. And what if being victorious is only partly in how we see things turn out? What if the bigger part of victory is how well I live today. The name Elohim is the one used over 2,500 times in the Old Testament for God. It's used for God in the creation story and for the God who gave Moses the Ten Commandments. One Bible encyclopedia says, Elohim is best understood as expressing intensity God makes himself known by this name as the Lord of intense and excessive glory and richness as he exercises his preeminence of power in the created cosmos. Sounds like an amazing big God, doesn't it? But how can a God like that relate to me and my disappointments and frustrations and difficulties and pain? has been showing me his heart, displayed in Jesus' life here on earth, and his willingness to become a human. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with us in our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Did you hear that? He learned obedience through what he suffered. We don't seem to learn much when all's going smoothly, it's only when we come up against difficulties. That we're motivated to grow, we start looking for answers, we cry out to God. When we hear that Jesus suffered, we tend to think immediately of the suffering of the cross, and of course that was an intense and amazing suffering. But Jesus suffered in all the same ways we do, even before he went to the cross. How did Jesus suffer? He was misunderstood and criticised. Imagine, Jesus is there, healing a deaf and dumb man, and the Pharisees accuse him of throwing out demons by the power of Satan. He heals a man with a deformed hand, and all the religious leaders can say, is, you healed on the Sabbath, you broke the law, you're a fraud, you can't be from God. He experienced grief. His father died before he began his ministry. His John the Baptist, his cousin, was put in prison and had his head chopped off. And the Bible says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Just imagine you grieving for your friend, for your cousin who's been killed at a young age, was about the same age as Jesus, and he's been killed. And you just want a little bit of time alone, just want a bit of time to talk to your father. And the crowds. You get that little short time in the boat, and then you get to the other side, and and they're there. But Jesus had compassion on them. He experienced the difficulty of not knowing. Jesus was a man, not Superman. He left his superpowers in heaven, and he only knew things as the Father revealed them to him. So he lived a life a lot like ours. In not knowing, not knowing what's coming. The father revealed to him what was what he needed to know as he went along in his ministry, but he experienced that difficulty of not knowing. He experienced that difficulty of being overwhelmed by people crowding and demanding. And they, when he healed people, more and more of them came. You imagine when he was. Uh, Walking along, and that woman reached out and touched the hem of the robe. There was such a crowd around that the disciples, when Jesus said, "Who touched me?" they said, "You've got to be kidding! There's crowds everywhere. They're all trying to touch you." Another um, part in Matthew he says, uh, "The crowds came for healing, and everyone that touched him was healed." You imagine if that's happening, how he would be pushed and pulled and tugged out and and just crowded and overwhelmed. And if he was anything like me, he would not have enjoyed that very much, just the overwhelmingness of being demanded in crowds. Sometimes he just had to withdraw. He experienced rejection by friends and family he returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? But then things turned. and They scoffed. He is just the carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? and they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Jesus told them a prophet is honoured everywhere except in his hometown, among his own family. So he only could do a few miracles there because of their unbelief. He experienced disappointment. He was disappointed in how the temple had been turned into a marketplace, and he was angry. He suffered the lack of support from the disciples when he told them he was going to be killed. It says in Matthew, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. That would have been really a difficult thing to deal with. You're knowing that you've got to go to the cross and... You've got people saying, No, no, that can't be right. No, no, that's not the way it should be. And you've got to set your face. And I'm sure that's why he said that to Peter. You've been you've been a dangerous trap to me. You're you're trying to get me off track of my where my father wants me to go. And he would have been disappointed in his disciples being like that. He experienced betrayal by his close friend. Judas had been part of the inner group for three years. They were close friends doing everything together. And Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Judas was there and he washed Judas' feet. He shared the Passover meal with Judas, his last meal with his friends. And yet he experienced betrayal of a close friend. He experienced separation, separation from uh, his Father God. C.S. Lewis wrote, as an, as an, uh, trying to help us to understand this, his, Imagine, lying at your feet is your dog. For the moment, imagine that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. Some of us love dogs very much. If it would help all the dogs in the world to become like men, would you be willing to become a dog? Would you lay down your human nature, leave your loved ones, your job, hobbies, art, literature, music, and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail, unable to write or speak? or smile. Christ, by becoming man, limited the thing to which to him was the most precious thing in the world, his unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. He experienced separation from the Father by coming to become a man. He had a close communion with the Father. But it wasn't the same as what he'd had in heaven. So how did Jesus react to these difficulties? He reacted without sin, obviously. But he learned obedience. He was completely God, but his humanity grew and matured over his 33 years. It would take a lot of obedience to do life with humans who were so fickle, forgetful, disrespectful, untrusting and unbending in their pride. It would take a lot of obedience to love people who spit on him, mocked him and wronged him in every way. It would take a lot of obedience to go to the cross for these people. His humanity said, please not this. His humanity cried for something different. His humanity begged for another way. But his obedience, he learned from suffering, compelled him to trust God beyond what his physical eyes could see. So what does all this mean for me? It means I have a God who is not just creator, holy beyond my understanding, but a God who knows what it's like to live in this fallen world and experience loss and disappointment, Experience being overwhelmed. Experience grief, betrayal, and pain. It means I have a God who understands what I'm going through. I have a God who can be trusted. I have a God to whom our relationship is more important than my comfort. I have a God who showed his love in Jesus. I mean, it means I have a God who understands and cares about my feelings and emotions. Now, I grew up in a home full of introverts where emotions were suspect. It was a very peaceful home. Everyone was generally very pleasant to get on with and there weren't too many uh, arguments or... uh... No one talked about their feelings really though. And no one talked through their difficulties with one another. I was taught that we should be kind and forgiving So when I didn't feel kind and forgiving, I just kind of ignored those feelings and and they would go away. I had an older brother who never seemed to get angry. And I aspired to be like him, thinking that it was really a godly thing. Because he never raised his voice, he never got upset. It was really quite amazing. Both our English heritage of not showing emotions And our Christian teaching that uh, you shouldn't be angry and you shouldn't speak badly to other people, all of those things, set the time for our lives. Then, when I married Daryl and moved into a Pentecostal church, you were supposed to be victorious, so you didn't uh, have any of those bad emotions like anger. There were some truths there that got mixed in with a few subtle lies. What I didn't understand, well, it's not the anger itself that's the trouble. But what we do with it, where is my anger directed? At the problem or the person? I grew up with a God who was Elohim, that almighty, holy creator and judge. That was, I guess, influenced very much by my father, who was a bit in that sort of... Uh, <laughs> type of person and I sang the song what a friend we have in Jesus what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer but I missed it I missed the whole message of that hymn oh what peace we often fall for oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer I carried some things to him my physical needs prayer for others asking for help with activities, but never those things he would disapprove of, never those difficult emotions, never my anger or disappointments. My Heavenly Father has been teaching me to see Jesus in a fresh way. Jesus shows us a different side to God, the side that is merciful and gracious. Of course, I know all that with my head. I've heard the stories of Jesus ever since I was old enough to hear a story. But somehow, the part about him being able to empathise with our weaknesses didn't get through in a way that translated into let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, emotional need as well as physical need. here on earth. Jesus didn't just ignore the hurts of rejection, misunderstanding and grief, nor did he try to numb the pain. He faced the pain head on and dealt with it. He didn't keep a stiff upper lip. He showed his emotions, but he didn't sin. I'm not saying he let it all hang out, but the Gospel writers do record Jesus' emotions at times. He expressed his frustration with his disciples. How much longer do I have to put up with you? He said. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and that left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. He was angry and drove the money changers out of the temple. In the garden he prayed with loud, fervent cries and tears. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We read often in the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life that he withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. What did he pray about? I'm sure that one thing was to talk to his father about those fickle, disrespectful, untrusting, and unbendingly prideful people. (laughs) Lisa Turkhurst, in her book, It's Not Supposed to Be That Way, tells the story of how she uh, one day had this terrible, excruciating pain in her uh, (coughs) stomach, and uh, it just got worse and worse, and she ended up in hospital, And for five days, she was in hospital with this excruciating pain. The intravenous pain meds weren't even making a dent in it. She was uh, very disappointed in God. God wasn't doing anything. She was asking for relief from this pain and God was not answering. For five days, it went on. She was finally diagnosed with a twisted bowel and a bowel obstruction and that uh, her bowel had been ready to burst or was ready to burst and she needed urgent surgery and they they opened her up and fixed her up. But afterward the surgeon told her that if it had burst the pain would disappear but her insides would become septic and she would die. And she Discovered that it was the pain that had kept, caused her to keep on seeking answers. I mean, God could have healed her, but the surgeon said it was a miracle that she didn't die, that she had survived that long with a twisted bowel and with that problem. They said a lot of people uh, there have the pain, the bowel bursts and they die. And they don't actually keep on seeking help because the pain's gone and they feel okay again and they don't realise. And feeling emotional pain is the first step to the healing, to healing the pain. We can numb it, ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist but none of these will heal it. All these options lead to an eventual breakdown, not a breakthrough. It's the pain that we feel that finally demands that we slow down and address what's going on beneath the surface. That's when we genuinely begin to pray about it. And Jesus helps us to face it. And he can then bring healing. I read this little uh, story in a prayer email that I Get each week. The writer says, I knew my daughter was upset. She'd been wounded by a friend and was trying to deal with the pain. Standing down the hall from her room, I couldn't make out what she was saying, but I heard the emotional pitch up and down of her words. Anger and hurt were spewing forth. No one was in the room with her. Was she talking to herself? Did we need to be concerned? Seek counselling for her? No, Amy was praying. Amy has learned to take her hurts to God, not given to the silent way her mother and I pray. Amy often talks to God out loud, and she always expresses her emotion, whether happy, angry, hurt or depressed. And she'll approach God anytime, anywhere. The shower's her favourite spot. When she's happy, she's not even beneath approaching God with an opening. What's up? I love that about him. God has done something special in her heart that allows her to approach him in this way. She comes with no masks and he meets her. One of the most amazing things about Amy's prayer experiences is how she resolves her prayers. Very regularly when she goes to God hurt and angry, she comes away accepting and at peace. Expressing emotion in prayer is a gift. Many believers, myself included, find it hard to do. Somewhere along our Christian journey, we became more staid in our prayer life, less emotional. But God wants to commune with us, even in our various emotional states. And even when our anger is directed toward him, it doesn't matter, he listens. When Daryl first got really ill, I found myself unsettled and very stressed. And I was easily upset and didn't really understand what was going on. Graciously, the Lord brought along a couple of books that helped me to look beneath the surface and allow Him to speak to my heart. I found that underneath, I was grieving the loss of my bookkeeping work, mad at Daryl for getting sick, not consciously of course, mad at God for not healing him, not consciously of course, all those emotions were affecting me. But it wasn't until I became aware of them and brought them to God and consciously decided to trust that He knows where my roller coaster is headed, even if I don't, that I found the stress lessened and the unsettledness settled. For this reason, He had to be made like us, fully human in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. When we fix our thoughts on Jesus, who understands, because he's been there, we can talk to him about our pain and it makes all the difference. Getting back to our roller coaster ride, when I learn to give up my illusion of control and truly trust God, I find I can enjoy the ride more. I do not mean that all my troubles simply fade away, but I do mean that when I have a strong confidence, that God is bringing the ride of my life to his desired end. I can relax and enjoy the ride more. Are you holding onto the safety bar of life with clenched fists, terrorised by your own lack of control? Or will you let go and embrace the truth that God is using all the ups and downs to bring you to his desired end? I'm sure that you're not like me in the struggles to relate to God to relate to a God who understands my emotions and wants me to talk to him about them, even the negative ones. But I'm pretty sure we all need reminding that we can trust our God. He knows what it's like to live in our world. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Thank you, Lord. We do just want to thank you. Jesus, that you came and you suffered and you understand where we are and you have our lives in your hands. We thank you, Lord. Amen.